0: personally, maybe from a philosophical level, you know, um, that's where I see the value add that I can bring to the table. And then by virtue of that, the overall project, we want to bridge the gap between
1: centralized and decentralized technologies. I'm Tor Baer from Enigma, and welcome to Decentralize This. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Decentralize This, presented by Enigma. I'm Tor Baer, I'm the head of growth for Enigma, and we are back after a brief hiatus for the holiday season. Uh, I hope you all had good holidays. Uh, We are refreshed, ready for a very exciting 2019, uh, and we're really looking forward to bringing you even more exciting thinkers and builders in the decentralization space, starting with today's guest, Don Gosson. Don is the co-founder of Ocean Protocol, a decentralized data exchange protocol and one of Enigma's launch partners. Don has spent his entire career focused on data, analytics, and business intelligence, and he's worked in many different countries around the world. He's an expert in how organizations use and consume data, and he has seen firsthand the challenges that they often face in doing so. On this episode, Don's going to talk with me about data provenance and privacy how to bridge the established centralized world and emerging decentralized systems, how organizations can embrace blockchain-based data solutions, and the critical importance of making the decentralization space more collaborative and less tribal. Don's experience and his passion for new solutions to very old problems in the data space made him an awesome guest. And of course, our perspectives have a lot in common. So I hope this conversation inspires you like it inspired me, To think more about how blockchain can reshape the way we think about data and privacy. So, without any further introduction, here is Don Gosson. Don, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Decentralized This. I'm thrilled to be talking with you. Same here, man. Thanks for having me. So, Don, before we get started, I start every show the same way, same question. Personally, professionally, just tell me, who's Don Gosson. So personally,
0: I am another Canadian in the blockchain space. (laughs) Um, But uh, I've lived a fairly nomadic life up until this point. So uh, born in Canada, um, grew up a bit there, a bit in Australia, a bit in Venezuela. Um, And then professionally, that's also taken me on a on a bit of a journey so i started in canada in oil and gas and then got out of that game um and and moved to los angeles where i got into the it consulting side of things but specifically around data and analytics um and and that's subsequently taken me on a journey to uh tokyo japan where i met my wife and then to the uk and now has landed me in uh beautiful or miserable Berlin, depending on the day and the time of day that that you're here and the time of year. Um, But uh, professionally, um, as I mentioned, you know, my area of expertise is um, less on the blockchain side, but more on the data side. So I spent the better part of uh, a decade and a half focused on data analytics, big data, um, and everything that goes into that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it's awesome. I I can certainly see how you've gotten a global perspective over your uh, over your personal life. I have not really spent much time living myself outside the U.S. I'm curious how you think like that international perspective has been really shaping things for you.
0: You know what? I I've thought about this quite a bit recently, and it, it I think it really helps you to conform i guess to the lack of of standards and protocol you know mm. when we're dealing with with other individuals because they're coming everybody's coming like when 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 you've experienced this you 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 start to um in, incorporate different crutches to get you through different um i guess uh, the, the differences in the social aspects of where you live right mm. and so i think it's helped me When I've worked with with different people and and different teams and that sort of thing uh, to look at problems or issues in a different light and try and tackle them from a different angle or a different perspective, because I understand that that the way that I may necessarily solve this problem or look at it, um, my perspective may be entirely different from the way that they're viewing it. Um, So that in and of itself, I think it has has helped quite a bit in in what I've done and where I've been during my career and and the people that I've met along the way.
1: Yeah. And you have done quite a bit. I would love to talk more about your history, especially in the data space and how it's now shaping the way that you're Playing in the blockchain crypto sort of space, I'm just curious how did you how did you sort of get into the the blockchain side of things, having had this background that was more focused on data and analytics?
0: Yeah, so I mean it's it's kind of an interesting story. I mean, I guess from my perspective, it is. But so when I was in in Japan, um, I moved there in in 2011, and that was when. Uh, Crypto was really starting to take a foothold, uh, specifically in Tokyo. So like late 2011, early 2012, you started to see like crypto ATMs, uh, Bitcoin in particular, ATMs in in stores and stuff like that. Obviously, Mount Geox was was based there. Mm -hmm. So I just being exposed to it from that point of view started to get interested in, in what is this technology, how does it work, but it was more from like the crypto-economic side of things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: At that point in time, I didn't see really the connection to the data side. Um, and then, obviously, Mount Geox blew up, and I thought, oh, well, that's that, that, you know, <laughs> that uh, flash in the pan is over, and kind of forgot about it until I was I, I transferred to the U.K., um, to lead the the big data and analytics team in the UK for the company, it was a big Japanese multinational service provider. Um, to lead their their big data and analytics practice in the UK, and colleagues of mine in the financial services division were running this um, like blockchain conference, and one of the speakers was Dimitri Yong, who's now he's you know long time big chain DB employee he's now leading the research and development on ocean and you know everybody else at this conference was talking I mean to me it seemed bullshit right it was like you know adding uh, digital fobs to like your gold boolean that you could then stuff into a vault in Switzerland and be able to you know transact on that via a blockchain and, and know who owns what and stuff and I was just like what the hell are these guys talking about? And then Demi got up and he started about to talk about the implications of blockchain um, to data and specifically to data provenance. And that's kind of where the trigger flipped for me, right? So a big part of my problem in this data world and, and one of the main problems has always been on the data provenance side. So,
1: mm. you know... Um, Maybe you want to define data provenance for people listening who might not know sure, what that term really means.
0: Sure, fair enough. Basically, what you're asking is, 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 like, where is the data coming from, mm-hmm. um, who's using the data, and what are they using it for, right? Right. Um, so, if, if basically, the issue is systems right now, um, you can do data provenance right now. There are systems like Abinitio, um, et cetera. That you can sit on top of uh, of an ingest engine or an ETL or what have you, an uh, um, extract transform load application that will integrate with like a data warehouse or a data lake. And it will tell you where that information is coming from. And it's pretty accurate and they're good. Um, where you start to run into problems is is especially on the consumption side of things. Because in a lot of cases, those are bespoke applications. Um, And if they're not bespoke, then the APIs connecting these systems are. Mm -hmm. And so um, off-the-shelf solutions that may work for these other off-the-shelf solutions that are really like building your data aggregation, um, your data lakes or or swamps or warehouses, um, they don't work as well when it starts to become bespoke, right? So you start to lose track post-ingest of where all of this data is then subsequently being consumed. Mm-hmm. Um and so the interesting part for me on the blockchain side of things is that it's it it's not a silver bullet it doesn't solve all the problems but it's an elegant solution right and and it's elegance in it's elegant in its simplicity and in a lot of cases i think you know simplicity trumps complexity mm-hmm. um and so that's what got me into this like going down this rabbit hole right yeah um, well, you clearly have,
1: spark. yeah, you clearly have a depth of knowledge about data itself, right? And I think that mm. in this space, uh, there's a lot of people who are trying to reinvent the wheel, mostly because they haven't yeah. experienced the wheel. Potentially, they're yeah. e- either they haven't worked in these industries, or or they're just too young to have yeah. experienced some of these problems um, inside organizations who struggle with data. Uh, obviously, data is a huge topic of conversation now. Globally, specifically around like the privacy side, if if you look in the news and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that because I can't I, I can't limit myself to just one example of failures of data privacy right now. Um, sure. But like what, what do you think is is your advantage here? Because here's a question I always have. Uh, you're coming in with a lot of experience, having seen how organizations think about this problem, how how data has limitations, how data silos exist in these organizations and between organizations. You bring that perspective. You understand yep. the problems very deeply. Well, you're working with a lot of – well, I think you do. And you're working with a lot of people in the space who – Are very passionate about solving this problem, and they don't have any preconceived notions about how to solve it because they haven't had to experience the super clunky way that data has worked for the past decades. How do you how do you work with people like that, and and what do you think your advantage is here, and what do you think their advantage is here, coming in with like less preconceived notions about how this should all work? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that the the
0: latter part of that first. The advantage of that. I mean, for me, I'm coming, I'm looking at the problem and, and I bring with me a, a lot of baggage, right? <laughs> Whereas a fresh set of eyes may look at the problem from a completely different perspective and see the solution in a way that I wouldn't see it because I'm looking at it through a lens that um, has already been tilted in a particular direction, mm-hmm. Right. So the diffusion, when I'm looking at it, isn't the same as somebody that's coming in with totally fresh eyes, and that can be advantageous, right? Right. Um. Now, I think in in the case of what sort of advantage um, do I have because of my experience? I think there's a distinct advantage in understanding how organizations operate mm-hmm. and what it is that will compel them to actually adopt new solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not necessarily be that this is the best be all and end all solution for a particular problem. It may just be that it works with the rest of their technology mm-hmm. and they don't have to migrate everything to new stuff. Right. Um, you know, a, a big impediment to it implementing new solutions, at an enterprise level, let's say, but I think just, uh, you know, if we broadly generalize is, um, you know, the the friction that goes along with this, right? Right. So how do you package something so that it is, uh, I don't want to say easily deployable, but so that it eases the overall deployment mechanism, Right. right. Because when you're talking, to a CTO or, in particular, a VP of engineering at a large corporation or someone that is in charge of this sort of thing at a nonprofit or a government agency, they are going to be looking for solutions that they don't have to put much effort into deploying and supporting, mm-hmm. right? And that also integrate with their existing solutions because they don't want to refactor everything. So, you know... Uh, what I think the experience brings with it is a very pragmatic perspective.
1: Right. You know? This is a tension, though, in the space. Right. This this balance between pragmatism and this Definitely. desire to be revolutionary. And so, so mm-hmm. Luis from Aragon was on the podcast. He he's an advisor to Ocean, right? Yeah. Yes. So Luis Kim comes on, he talks a lot about this idea of like constructing a parallel universe of decentralized autonomous organizations. And we had a conversation about like, how do you reconcile this desire to create these new types of organizations with, let's say, the existing legal system, which indicates that you should have counterparties for transactions and things like that. Yep. And his take was very much, and maybe this is a function of just like, he's done so much work with Aragon and and he is also quite young relative to you know, you or I, uh, and his focus is much more on like, well, if we build it, they'll come, you know, it's like, if if this is all working, you know, and this is an opportunity, people are going to come around on this stuff. I, I didn't get the sense that he was as focused on building bridges. Do you see your role, you know, with ocean, like your personal role with ocean and then also ocean's role to be building those kinds of bridges?
0: Um, yeah, I do. I think, um, you know, at least personally, maybe from a philosophical level, you know, um, that's where I see the value add that I can bring to the table, and then, by virtue of that, the overall project. You know, we have not been shy about promoting the fact that we want to bridge the gap between centralized and decentralized technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know where Lewis is coming from, i yeah, uh, I applaud him. You know, I think it is it it is uh, it's an endeavor that that, um, you know, everyone should kind of aspire to and be out at the forefront and push the envelope. But there are interested parties that are going to want to evolve. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think part of the argument for what we're doing is to help those parties along in this journey. Can we leapfrog some of the the tech that that will get them from point A to point B, from 2.0 to 3.0? Right. right. But but I think there is there is a rationale there for providing assistance. I mean, a lot of the uh, a lot of what I did prior to joining was uh, was working on digital transformation projects. Right. Right. Taking non-digital native.
1: And that's really valuable yeah, experience. Yeah,
0: exactly. So taking non-digital native companies mm-hmm. digital, right? Right. Um, you know, it, 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 and I, I I feel like this is a natural evolution um for for that for that type of work that I was doing. That was a nice lead-in to what I'm now doing, right? Right. Um, and it, it some companies get it. Some are really vested and and want to get it right and are willing to to try if there uh, try again if there were failures some don't and it's you know that's a, also a good learning experience understanding which companies and or in, you know oftentimes it's it's industries on mass yeah. that just you know their their feet are caught in the mud and you know from our perspective that's a good thing because then we understand eh, maybe we don't want to necessarily focus on on that area right, right? because it may not change.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I think in many ways like Ocean and Enigma are in very similar positions, having, you know, teams where we have a lot more business experience maybe than some, uh, but we also do have very strong visionary positions for like what the future of data can and should look like. And we try to evangelize that for these, you know, Web 2.0 or even like, you know, people who haven't even reached that point yet, right? To these companies to help them see that there that there is a better way. And one thing that we're running into. Uh, Is you know we're having these conversations now with companies that are very cognizant of these data privacy issues, and they know that if they mess up on a on on a large scale now, it might have been something that could have been covered up before, and now it's front page news. And now you know if you're Facebook, you're getting dragged before not one, not two, but like twenty different international tribunals or whatever, to to sort of justify how you've been doing your entire business model. So yeah. let, let's talk a little bit about the ways in which you think, like, oceans technology can can help these companies. You know, it's it's not just about like moving into the new millennium, right? Like, and modernizing. It's also about liability. They're now tremendously yeah. liable for the ways in which they're using, misusing, leaking data. Like that's that's well, deeply it, concerning.
0: Look, from my perspective, the shitty part about all of this, right, is, I mean. It boils down to a lack of provenance, you know, Mm -hmm. and by virtue of that, a lack of transparency. Right. Um, How much of that is
1: structural and how much of that is just like.
0: Exactly. I mean, this is the question for a Marriott in large part. I think Mm -hmm. it's structural. Right. They have they probably have. I don't want to speak for them, but, you know, chances are they have issues with just being Mm -hmm. able to clarify the provenance of the of the data that was exposed. Right? right. So they don't know how necessarily how far down the rabbit hole that access, that breach went. Right. Uh, I, I mean, that may not be the case for Marriott. I'm speculating. Right. Um, but in, in in a lot of cases, that is the issue. So so the alternative there. Right. In order to prevent these types of breaches, is you just lock everything up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of a, of a Facebook, or at Google, like the fangs and the bats, right? Because they're digital natives. Yeah. Um, their clarity around the the data and the access points and the overall provenance will be a lot better. Um, and so I think some of that is just the, like the subterfuge, right? Like they're mm-hmm. just obfuscating for the sake of obfuscating. Yeah. Um. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. Part of it is because I think it's you know maybe it is because i don't know it's a bit malicious
1: in in terms of the actions that they're taking i right. you know i don't know um well let's be yeah. visionaries for a second like, i i don't want to force you into the position of a pragmatist because i think what's so exciting about this space is like we said we can be evangelists we can be visionaries yeah. like from the perspective of these legacy companies you know what we're doing is super cool and new and i want to talk about that like you know i, I don't want to talk about like facebook's motives or or lack thereof You know, I'm just more interested. Well, I kind of do, but I'm really interested in thinking about, like, what's possible? Like, what can we build if we don't take for granted that Facebook is even going to be a company in a decade? Like, what would a better Facebook look like if they were to, say, build on top of Ocean and Enigma? Like, what are the Trent
0: did write a blog like a year and a half or two years ago about decentralizing Facebook and what that would look like? Yeah. What would Um, that look like? I mean if if you take the concept that you just flip the shares for tokens, um, I mean then it becomes sort of this self-serving purpose where you're trying to get the coins out to as many people as possible and that means you know providing as much transparency as the, uh, the, the that um, uh, that subset of token holders demands, right mm-hmm. um, And then gradually y- you've sort of got this, disintermediation intermediation of the overall corporate structure. Right. And then yeah. it just doesn't make sense to have a centralized governance mechanism. But, you know, um, I guess from a, from a visionary point of view, you know, um, I part of this is evangelizing the, the overall message, right? Like while these problems are front and center i don't think most people understand that there are solutions either present or coming down the pipe that can help reduce the the, the impact and or you know negate the problem from the very beginning mm-hmm. um you, you know when people think blockchain they immediately think crypto and You know, that is sort of uh, uh, an additional component to the solution. It's like something that that, in my opinion, helps drive adoption because it can provide an incentive mechanism, but it isn't core to a provenance
1: problem. Right. Right. You're describing a pretty massive educational initiative though, right? Like you, you need people to first be paying attention to the problem. Then they need to be listening to hear about the solutions. And then you need to be cutting through any preconceived notions they might have about the technology involved in these potential solutions. Like it's been a Agreed. real challenge.
0: I think – but I think the way you do that, right, is is by deploying solutions that work, right? Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to tackle every nuance of, of – the, the argument or the problem, right? Um, you, but what you do need to show is is something that works, right? right? I, I mean, we could we could flip the argument or we could flip the example a little bit, right? Uh, you know, you take application like enterprise level applications um, from the early two thousands, let's say, or or throughout the knots, right? Mm-hmm. And then along came social media technology and our cell phones and you know uh, mobile apps and stuff like that and the sophistication of the user experience like think about how shitty the experience was back in the mid2000s with like your your enterprise level software versus what it is now, right? Mm -hmm. And that was driven out of this sort of paradigm shift where people recognize, no, these solutions, these applications that we're using in an enterprise level don't need to be so shitty because I'm using awesome apps on my phone or, you know, in uh, within social, the realms of social media. Right. The same sort of concept. Right. Get the technology out there. Get people to understand that. Oh, yeah. You know what? I can actually take control of certain aspects of my uh, like self-sovereign data. Mm-hmm. Um and once that that paradigm starts to shift, I think it'll snowball. And so you don't necessarily need to have this huge ed- educational uh initiative up front. Right. It can happen in conjunction with the
1: release of of the technology. So what does the release of that technology look like? What is the what is the beginning before the thing like rolls down the hill? What does that initial little snowball look like? <laughs> Good question. Um, we got to start somewhere. I mean, I completely agree with you when you say that, like, the solution is usually building, right? Like, and making the big problem with data, and this has come up on this podcast too. The problem is that it's so intangible for people. You know, it's not it's not a physical good. It's not an app that they can touch and hold most of the time. Right. You know, it's just something that's being ambiently created, ambiently shared, and ambiently, you know, misused. So what what is tangible for people? What what is the first like snowball that they're going to see and touch, where they start to think about these new kinds of technologies and see how they can be generalized and, and applied to these really really big problems at at the enterprise level or beyond?
0: I mean, maybe I'm a bit biased because please of, be biased. Of I don't mind where I sit and and you know kind of the position or perspective that I, I think. a driver could be from a, a, like a a chief data officer type scenario, right?
2: Hmm.
0: Um, So if you look at a chief data officer, they're they're, predominantly their entire existence is premised around making sure that you maintain regulatory compliance with the data, right? Um, And I am a firm believer that you know regulation is a manifestation of a lack of control right mm-hmm. if there was accurate provenance and attribution over the entire data supply chain uh, a lot of regulation would probably go out the window right yeah so if you can start to tackle this problem um and provide more transparency on you know what's being used where is it being used by whom when um that helps a CDO function, manage the compliance and the associated risk, right? right? And then they can start to push that within a within a corporate, let's say. Um, and then you start to move towards this idea of actually commoditizing these assets, right? So if we go back to what I was saying before, um, you know, a, a part of the reason why data, uh, in large part, why data gets siloed is because uh, they, you cannot, it's very difficult to track the assets. Right. Right. Um, And so if you can begin to track it, then you're, I think you're much more uh, likely to start promoting it and start pushing it out and have it become consumed, not just internally, but externally. Right. Right. And so we start to move towards uh, the creation of, of, you know, in, in what I think uh, will you know manifest as a new asset class, something that sits between commodities and IP um, interesting and, and then so you've got now you have i t becoming a profit center. It's no longer a cost center
2: right mm-hmm.
0: and so that makes the CFO interested. okay, what are we doing here and how do we you know how do we leverage these assets more? And then that's when the real, you know, if you look at the fangs and the bats, what do they do really well? They Mm -hmm. they, like they monetize their data assets. Right. Right. That's what they implicitly, you know, from from their their structural core, their premise has always been that it is is a profit center. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the primary differentiator. And so now we can actually start to have this conversation. And this is the the crypto part that I actually find interesting. The other part of it, you know, not so much overall, like the speculation (laughs) and stuff, but, you know, because then it's coinciding with the actual provenance and the transparency of these assets. And it's like, okay, now we all, guess what? We also have like this super easy ish way to actually transact on these assets as well. Right.
1: Right. I want to. I want to try to sum up what you've said because I I think that there's so much here that is valuable for people, especially because it's clear, again, you're applying your experience with these kind of digital transformation initiatives. You know what it really takes. To see these technologies implemented in a meaningful way versus just, you know, like you said, you don't like the speculation side. You don't want people to just be like, we have a partnership with X large conglomerate. Right. Is this ever going to be implemented in any kind of meaningful way for that conglomerate? Likely not. It's probably somebody that they used to work with in a prior role who signed some piece of paper and it's just nothing meaningful is going to happen. You've just described a lot of ways in which you can get to. The decision makers within large organizations were going to be implementing some of these decentralized solutions, and uh-huh. that is where I think you and I have the most in common. It's like we really care about seeing decentralized solutions actually adopted, actually used at scale, and, and actually respected, and. I think that you're describing blockchain the way that I describe blockchain, which is it's a decentralized technology, but it's not the center of the universe. It's an enabling technology that that can work with other kinds of technologies to solve real problems. And instead of people describing blockchain as a solution looking for a problem, you've just so elegantly described like a real problem for real organizations, shown how a blockchain can be part of a technical solution, but also shown how blockchain is not – the whole solution that there's that there's yep. more to build, more to do on on top of blockchain. I, I wish more people, and, and maybe you can talk a little bit about how you do this. I wish more people in the space understood that that was really the the purpose of blockchain as an enabling technology versus like a be all end all thing. Because then you just get to this point in the hype cycle where people dismiss it entirely, and then they dismiss decentralization entirely. And now, and now, like you say, maybe the speculation has set us back considerably. How how do you go about reminding people that there's so much potential to these technologies, beyond just blockchain and beyond just what people thought it could do? Even if you're disappointed in blockchain, how do you remind people of the potential of decentralization? Period.
0: Well, I I, I mean, I think you kind of hit on it earlier. I uh, I think you can you you just look at history, right? Look at your past. You know, coming out of the big data world, there we definitely hit the trough of disillusionment, right? Uh, yeah. Where where people were saying, "Oh yeah, this stuff is totally overblown. It's not, you know, it's not nearly capable of the expectations that people sold." Sure, fine. Maybe there were, you know, uh, zealots out there that were that were overpromising and underdelivering. But you cannot argue against the, you know, the the efficacy of of MPP, of massive parallel processing, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's just if you need to churn through terabytes or petabytes of data, you know, you have to leverage some kind of like map reduce function or something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You cannot do it with like. A single stack. Well, I mean, you can. You can do it with an appliance. It's just going to cost you millions of dollars, right? Right. And so, it, it commoditizing those assets, making it available to you know the the, the small and medium sized guys. Uh, that's what this stuff does, right? So you just have to look at at uh, historical precedent, right? Right. Uh, just say, look, this is what happened here, and people. I mean people wrote off wrote off the internet, right yeah, yeah. and you know it's kind of like look at me now, right
1: I'm tempted to do it right now, no. yeah but I
0: won't <laughs> fair enough <laughs> well we're trying to fix it, but i I think the same argument can be made for for blockchain you know right there is there is too much i mean the the solution in and of itself is is, is i I keep going back to the elegance of it. Um, it can help, but it is not the be all and end all. It's just another arrow in, in your proverbial quiver, right? Um, it's going to work synergistically with the rest of, of the tech stack that you've got. And that's kind of the approach that I think, I mean, we're taking,
1: um, yeah. So let's talk about this idea of, you know, synergy and collaboration, right? Because, uh, one result of the rampant speculation in in the space in the last couple of years has been this tribalism. Has been you know people at odds about building different pieces of the Web three stack, and it, it baffles me. I mean, it's it's maybe not surprising, but it's still baffling that people are more prone to fighting over ownership of something in the decentralized space. It seems like such a weird oxymoron, yeah. the idea like you can own decentralization, like you're, you're somehow going to create a walled garden around your slice of decentralization. What, what do you think is like, what's going to help us become more collaborative in the next years? Because ocean is a critical piece of the stack. Enigma is a critical piece of the stack and we treat it like a stack. I deal with a lot of people who don't see a stack. They just see, you know, they're, they're maximalists to some extent on some piece of the technology. How can we build a more collaborative ecosystem? Because I, I believe that that's one of the biggest barriers to seeing these things adopted is, is there's not enough collaboration. Yeah, I
0: mean, you and I have talked about this before. Um, we're kind of on the same page and, and, you know, you're preaching to the choir. Um, you, you know, I think how do we become more collaborative? Um, I'm not – I'm not so sure I think diversification helps you know uh, I think if the 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 more perspectives you bring to a problem the more open you are to alternative points of view and and mm-hmm. not just looking at it through a, a singular lens um, you know it, it's kind of funny because like a year ago when when you guys were kicking off and and we were um, we were we were just about to kick off. Everybody was asking us, like, you know, how do you guys, how are you guys gonna, how do you differ from Enigma? You know, what's your proposition? How is it any different? How are you gonna be better? Blah blah blah. And my response was always, uh you know, I, I don't see them as we're not competitive propositions; we're collaborative ones, right? Like you guys are focused mm-hmm. on a on a core proposition. Um, and that helps us because when your stuff, uh, matures, we get to use it and vice versa. Right. Um, you know, I don't know if it's the engineer in me or if it's just cause I'm lazy. I mean, I don't want to build a fucking thing, you know? Yeah. I just want to, I just want to put it <laughs> together. Um, you know, it's kind of like a jigsaw. Puzzle. I got
1: You'd rather snap together yeah. the Legos than work exactly. in the Lego factory. You
0: know? Um, so it, it's it's like, how do we all work together? How do we talk to Parity? How do we talk to Cosmos? How do we talk to you guys? Yeah. How do we talk to Truebit? You know? Um, and And, right. you know, what is the bridge? What tech do we need? And then from our point of view, how do we integrate with HortonWorks or Cloudera or an Oracle distribution? You know, it's it's all of this stuff. And what's the tech that we need to to build to to bridge these different systems and stuff like that? Like, there's so much stuff that needs to be done. I guess hopefully people will start right. to realize how much effort is going to go into this and how much time it's going to take. Yeah, and maybe that will be the catalyst. For, for more collaboration, um, I also think as you see more uh, people come into this sphere, um, there will just be like, evolutionarily, there will be more maturation, right? Um, yeah. You know, right now it is in large part a, a, a young person's game. But at, over time, as it's as the, you know, the situation stabilizes, you, we will see more people. <laughs> yeah. The macro conditions uh, um, as it stabilizes, you will see more people get into the space. And, you know, as the the technology blossoms in non-traditional areas like corporate environments, you also see more, you know, interaction um, and in in large part. Those corporations, it's not in their best interest to create new stuff. They just want to leverage stuff off the shelf, right? So taking that kind of perspective right. and, and then bringing it all together and collaborating.
1: What do you think it's going to take now? How much stability are we going to need to see or is it stability that they need to see? Like we want more blood in the space. We want we want yeah, more yeah. people coming in. I think in. it's
0: just it, – um, I mean it just needs a bottom out for a while. Like just have the same trajectory, right?
1: Um and then yeah. people can zoom out and see a pretty substantial trajectory. I just think every time it comes into the public consciousness, it's after the the boom has already happened, and then people only get excited when it's naturally hitting hitting this like you know peak what? of enthusiasm. Like it's just a couple these... months
0: ago, I might have agreed with you. Um but uh the 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 people that we're talking to now, the you know, the companies they don't care. They don't give a shit. Um, they see the value in the yeah. technology. A lot of, well, not a lot, but some have gotten through the POC phase, and they're saying, you know what? Now we want we want to move past yeah. that. We want to move past the MVPs. We want to get this stuff into production, right? They're right. not looking at it like, right. ah, we're not going to do this because you know Ethereum is is has tanked. Um,
1: right. You know they make. But you know why it's different, you know why it's different for you than maybe for some other people. I mean, we're we're in the yeah. same position as you where they just like if they see it works yeah. they get excited. I think it's because we've both kind of done the same thing, which is that we didn't put blockchain as the core value proposition of what we were building. We said, here's the real solution to a real problem right. that you're facing. And that that allows you to build something sustainable, what I think the space at large failed to do. Was show the problems that were being solved, show how blockchain was a solution, because in many cases it wasn't. Now we're in a position as a space where we we have to keep showing those solutions. I agree with you. Uh, but like, in terms of like people getting into the quote unquote blockchain space, I'm not sure that's a space that's growing anymore. I do think the space of like wanting to solve these problems is growing. I, I just don't really know what to call it. Maybe it's an issue of semantics, but like what would you call? The, the space that you work in right now, if you had to name it, I don't know. You're, Is it the decentralization space? Is it the is it something a little more specific? But I don't I don't say um, I work in crypto. You, you know what? I mean, this is this is I don't know. This is, may sound a little bit absurd, but it's
0: just like the problem solving space. I mean, and in particular, I mean, like the ability to um, federate solution development. Right. And not mm-hmm. being locked into specific providers or known entities. Um, so if you want to mm-hmm. call, I mean, there is a there is an aspect of decentralization to that. Um, but it is, I mean, Demi, DEMI calls what we're building an information network, right? And it's not far right. off the mark. I mean, it's pretty apropos, right? Um, right. It is like how you? how do you bring all of this knowledge together? And I'm not saying that Ocean will do it on its own, um, but that's the kind of, you know, I think where we're headed to, like systems that integrate together, that bring on AI capabilities um, that that serve up assets, be, be they data assets or uh, secure compute environments or, you know, uh, storage re- repositories or what have you. Right. And collectively you can start, you know, just solving problems together. And, and so, you know, yep. is it, it does decentralization help there? Yeah, I think so. Cause it, it, it exposes you to a much wider swath of, of, um, solution capabilities, but it's just, again,
1: it's just a part of the, the overall puzzle that we need to, um, support. Well, you can see why I'm asking the question, right? Because a lot of the people that you're going to be collaborating with in this space identify as working in the decentralization space or the blockchain space, or maybe they identify as working in the data space, like they... I, I think as a as a space right now and again it's it's such a hard thing to try to communicate because we don't have the language around it but that is the problem we don't have the language anymore like we everybody leaned on this word blockchain just like they're still leaning on the word decentralization they want it to yeah. mean something it needs to mean something consistent in order to like it be do I know, you know, I know what I mean what like mean, right? well, I, mean, look, I struggle I mean,
0: a lot our project in particular knows what you mean like we are Breaking down <laughs> data silos. We are a de- decentralized um, uh, network to break down data silos for AI. Right? It's kind of like, <clears throat> right. you know, I had a I had a buddy that showed he he sent um, our website to his brother, and his brother was like, "What the hell is this? Like, did these guys just take buzzwords and cobble it together?" But yeah, like the buzzwords dissipate, you know. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I I mean, the hope is that there is enough of a solid foundation that those buzzwords just become a part of the vernacular, right? Big data was a buzzword for a long time, and it's now just common parlance, right? Nobody bats an eye at data. Yeah, and I think that's what, like decentralization, or maybe just blockchain. uh, You know that that. It, it, there is the possibility that that enters the overall vernacular and everybody sort of implicitly understands what it means, right? And so, right. I mean, that's the kind of situation that I think we want to get to, right? Where the buzzword just becomes normal, um, you know, and then Gartner can go and, you know, come up with some new jargon that we all – that everybody tries to float, right? <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's too early to project how you know how all the buzzwords will evolve and things like that. We we've seen them ebb and flow. We've seen blockchain come up. We've seen blockchain come down. I, I'm curious to see what's going to happen in this whole space. I'm especially curious to see what happens in, in the space that like Ocean uh, and Enigma are playing in, where it where it relates to yeah. data and elements of data provenance and data privacy. Like it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, I think that we have a large role to play in how this language gets developed and also, and more importantly, how the solutions get developed and how they get implemented. And I think one thing we can agree on is that it's more important to build the solutions and implement the solutions and scale the solutions than it is to yeah. name the well, solutions.
0: I think as equally as important is just to try, right? Like we got to do something. The interesting part is, I think we're 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 approaching, if we have not reached it, a critical mass on this whole like data access, data privacy, data ownership um, issue, right? Um, there's just right. too much shit going on right now, um, and people are are really starting to recognize that yes, this is a problem. In my opinion, the solution starts with the provenance side of things. Um, I know you guys are, are focused on a, a, a more nuanced uh, part of the solution. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I think we're, we're, we're talking um, because we can leverage the strengths of one another's uh, projects, right? And just move the needle forward a bit more. Um, and that's what we got to do, right? We, I mean, we have to, we, we've we got to try and do something because obviously the, the current paradigm is, is a bit busted. Um, and I'm not that, you know, I'm not that, I don't think, you know, I don't want to say we're changing the world, but maybe
1: we are. Um, I like to I, say we are. It's a good conversation opener. You're, and in my, this you're case, much more
0: bald than I am then.
1: Eh, you kind of have to be on some level. But it's a good conversation starter. It's also generally a good conversation closer. Um, and so with that in mind, uh, we'll wrap up here. But if people want to follow along with what Ocean is building and they want to see what's happening next, I think you guys have some really exciting yeah, stuff sure. coming up in the very just, near future.
0: Please, how can they, how so can they follow um, along? They can obviously check out the website. It's oceanprotocol.com. Um, we just released our, um, our, our latest version of the testnet, Um, so that's, that's out there. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, trilobite. We, we come up with some pretty creative names around here. So, so that's out there. Um, GitHub is totally open. So anybody that wants to take part can, um, you know, the more the merrier, um, tutorials are on docs.oceanprotocol.com. So, you know, if you want to get kick started either on the backend stuff or you're looking at, at marketplaces, you know, uh, trying to, uh, trying to kickstart this whole data economy and doing this together with you guys. Um, and then, you know, uh, we'll, we're aiming to, to push the main net early next year. Um, there's some stuff that I want to talk to you guys about cuz um I think
1: we've we've got some opportunity. <laughs> well, no need to go yeah. into detail right now. We'll keep that as a as a fun as a For fun sure. follow-up. But there's obviously a ton to look forward to and the problems aren't going away, so we're just excited to work with you guys and build solutions. So Don, I really appreciate all the time and it's it's always a pleasure talking about this stuff with you. I really appreciate the experience but also the vision that you're bringing to the field and I can't wait to have another conversation.
0: Anytime. It was my pleasure. Um, thank you for inviting me on. Um, yeah, looking forward to collaborating and, uh, changing the world, I guess.